This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not meant for anyone younger than 13. Do not harass any of the names mentioned in this episode. Summer vacation at a family reunion becomes a battlefield between man and love machine in John versus Summer Wars. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to John vs. Film. And we are done with the Spider-Man movies. And I would love to tell you my thoughts on No Way Home. Uh, let's go with the first one. I mean, here's the thing. I'm recording this before the movie's even out, No Way Home. So, and this is going to be the episode directly after No Way Home, so uh, let's go with the, we're going to do this uh, intro a bit differently. So here's the intro to, you know, about No Way Home, if I had a positive reaction. Oh wow, No Way Home was so great, I absolutely love when the Spider-Man did Spider-Man things, woohoo, and Doc Ock was so fantastic. And I love Green Goblin. Really great to see William Defoe back. Woohoo! Alright. And, uh... In case the movie actually turns out to be the worst Spider-Man movie ever, which is very small, but it is a a possibility, even a 1% possibility, I have a negative reaction to No Way Home. This is my response to No Way Home if I had a negative reaction. And we'll all know when I get to, when I actually record the episode and watch the movie. And of course, the No Way Home episode is going to come out before this episode. But anyway, if I have a negative reaction to No Way Home, Spider-Man is a menace! An absolute menace to society! Oh. I can't believe the filth I had to watch. Now to watch something good. That's right. It's anime. Nothing menacing about anime. Unlike that traitor. That vigilante known as Spider-Man. And thank you for bearing my probably horrible J. Jonah Jameson voice. (laughs) Uh, This will be interesting to hear that. But yes, we are looking at anime this month. Specifically, movies directed by Mamoru Hosoda. Mamoru Hosoda. Mamoru Hosoda. I'm sorry, I'm trying to pronounce it right. Uh, But yes, directed by Mamoru Hosoda. I, I hang on one more time. We're gonna pronounce it one more time. Ready, Mamoru Hosoda. That's probably the closest I'm gonna to get to it. But yes, we're gonna look at his filmography or just a couple films for his filmography. And the reason why is in the month of January, the, his latest film Bell is going to be releasing in U.S. theaters, and I would love to see it in theaters. Hopefully it comes out in a theater nearby, near me. I'm actually looking to see it in IMAX, possibly. There is an IMAX theater about an hour drive away from me. So, again, hopefully tickets go on sale soon. I can reserve my tickets to see it in IMAX, but anyways... This, as of course, if you read the title of the episode, we're taking a look at 
Summer Wars. Not to be confused with Star Wars. I know this movie starts off with literally a samurai yielding a lightsaber, but I, I'm sure I assure you, there's no similarities to Star Wars. Digimon, though, that's a different story. Uh, and why am I looking at Summer Wars first? You know, it's this is going to be a weird order, and with Bell's inclusion, that's going to be weirder since it's going to be in the middle of the month when that episode comes out. And, but yeah, I'm not doing this in a chronological order, which is weird, you know. But let me explain. This is the first movie I saw, you know. Like, this is the first movie other than Digimon the movie. I, I'm not including that right now you know i'm not talking about digimon the movie except for this comparison this movie but i'm not doing an episode of digimon the movie at least for now and especially since with the totally not the totally not mark thing going around and toy being absolute evil corporation because it's copyright abuse so yeah i'm not really doing Dealing with, you know, Toei right now. But, yeah. Anyways. I'm not talking about Digimon the movie. Even though that is technically the first, you know, Mamoru Hosoda film I saw. Because I watched that as a kid. But I'm more talking about his, like, more original work. You know, like Summer Wars, Girl Who Loves Her Time, Rai... You know, Wolf Children, like his, like the movies that he's not really tied to, you know, any pre-established, you know, franchise is what I'm getting at. You know, his more original films. Now, when I I say original film, but funny enough, the story in this one not so original. If you've seen Digimon the movie, but you know, we'll we'll talk about that more. But yes, the movie came out in 2009. The reason I'm starting this one first, again, is that this is the first one I saw. I watched this when it came out on Toonami. I thought it was fantastic here. Uh, when I watched it back then, I do think my enjoyment of this movie you know, has lessened a little bit. Maybe it's because I've grown a bit more cynical. But I did watch this when I was in high school and now watching it in my mid-twenties. You know, maybe I pick up a bit more of the flaws here or maybe just the wow factor of watching the movie the first time. You know, didn't uh, blow me away. And I will note that for this episode, I watched the movie in Japanese Mainly because I actually didn't watch the movie in Japanese before. I mostly watched the dub. I've, I did see the movie a couple times before this episode. Like I said, when it came out, Toonami. And I also watched it when I got on Blu-ray. You know, I've seen this movie a couple times beforehand. But yeah. Anyway, I do like this movie. Even though now I see a bit more flaws with it. It's not my favorite Mamoru Hosoda film. Now, like, I did really enjoy it, though. <laughs> it first, it's my first saw on Toonami. But yeah, we're just going to go through, like, this month, except for Bell. Bell's going to screw it up, but I want to try to fit the order of when, like, the order of when I watched these movies. You know, or his movies. So, starting with Summer Wars first. Then it's going to be The Girl Who Left Through Time. And then we're going to go with Belle, hopefully. And I'm looking to cap off the month with Wolf Children. That's going to be very a very heartfelt episode, I assure you. But yeah, so anyway, before I talk about my opinions on Summer Wars, let's get into the, you know nitty-gritty IMDb information because IMDb is obviously 
the most trusted resource of movie information. But no, seriously, movie, as I mentioned, directed by Marvel Soda. The original story is credited towards him with the screenplay. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, the screenplay being credited to Satoko Okada. Okudera. Okudera? Okudera. I think that's how you pronounce it. I am so sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, I'm trying... Like, I know a little bit of Japanese, so... I I know how to try to pronounce words in Japanese, or names in Japanese, in this case. But I'm not going to be the best. And... Yep... And the movie sits along with an hour and 54 minutes and is rated PG here in the States. So, should I give a synopsis for this movie? I, I feel like my episode, like my podcast is like, yeah, maybe I should start off with a summary. I, like, uh, maybe I should do that going forward. I'm still figuring things out with this podcast, as you can see, but essentially, the movie is a boy gets hired by his senpai to pretend to be her boyfriend for her family and gets roped into a very, you know, climactic internet battle with a computer AI known as Love Machine. And he has to solve use his most valuable skill, math, to save the day. I'm going to work on better summaries. I I got to update my notes to actually write in a summary and be a little bit creative. That's more of my top of the head. I'm just rambling on. But yeah, so anyway, that was a poorly done summary by me. But enough of that. Let's Before I get into... You know, start really battling this movie. I'm going to start about talking about the things I like. And I'm going to now, going forward, try to limit between 5 likes and 5 dislikes. Try to lower, you know, the episode runtime a bit. Get rid of some of the fluff. But anyway, let's go to what I like. Now this first point... I I struggled a bit of where I wanted to put this, either in the like or the dislike. But I decided on a compromise, and it's going to be in both the likes and dislike. I will explain the like here, but we'll get into the dislike later when I go into that. But anyway, for this movie, I like... How it borrows heavily from Digimon the movie. Now the reason why I like that. Now again. I'm going to talk about what I dislike about this point of the movie. Or dislike how it borrows heavily from the Digimon the movie. You know because the thing is I'm very mixed on this. It's a very mixed opinion I have. Because okay. Anyway. Stop with the tangents. The reason why I like how it, like, it borrows heavily from Digimon the movie is because Digimon the movie, let me get more specific, it's the second part for us here in the US who had to watch three mil, three movies like short movies, oh they're not really short movies, more like specials, like 40 minutes long, you know anyway, we Three 40-minute special movies, you know, whatever you want to call them, smushed and edited together into one movie with a very interesting Fox Kids intro at the beginning of the movie and a digi-rap. But everyone in the States knows what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the middle part where Omnimon jumps in and is arguably 
the best part of the movie. That second part is the best part of Digimon the movie. No questions handed. Uh, in Japan, I gotta Google this. I should have done this beforehand. Uh, it is Digimon Bokuno War Game or something. Yeah, War Game. We will call it Digimon War Game for now, or Our War Game. That's what's translated to here in the states. Also, that movie, yeah, or Bokurano Wogema. You know that that's the movie I'm talking about. You know, we everyone who's seen that, you know, I what I like is that it takes that story and it really fleshes it out a bit more with this almost two hour long runtime, and is not constrained to having uh, to follow the pre-existing story of Digimon being a sequel to Digimon. So I feel like Mamoru Hosoda had a bit more freedom to explore the themes, the topics, you know, the plot just a bit more and try to really gauge a more emotional weight to the plot without being tied to Digimon and trying to sell a product. And here's the thing. This is coming from someone who loves Digimon, but at the same time, I also know it's also kind of a commercial. And I'm not saying Mama Hosoda did not have, you know, passion for that. Uh, I'm just saying there it does create some limitations. But anyway, I like how it just makes it into a full-fledged movie. You know, some something that was really good and. Digimon the movie and just fleshes it out a bit more with stronger emotional points for this plot. Specifically the plot. I don't know where I'm going with this point, but I guess that's why I'm liking is that it just it fleshes the idea a bit more here without being tied to Digimon. But anyway, the next point I will say is that I like the characters. I think the characters are very lovable in this movie. And there is a large cast of characters because we deal with a very you know, it's like a large family reunion that's going on for Granny's birthday. And it's what I like is that each family member has a very distinct design and characteristic to them like you can tell one from another very easily and I do think that again there's not one character I dislike because you know there's a certain charm to each character here now and uh going back to the characters the next point is the character acting and animation was also great like the animation knows when to be subtle or a bit more of a dramatic given the context. Like if it's more like comedic, you're going to find more cartoonish like animation, you know, like at the end when uh, Kenji tries to kiss Natsuki. You see the lips really, you know, start to wobble, you know, really extrude out, you know, very unhuman like. But it gets, you know, but it's more exaggerated. You know, here, you know, you see the wobble, but you also get some more subtle animation. Like, what I noticed in the movie that Kenji. You know, he starts off the movie very hunched over, very un, like, unconfident. Yet, he slowly starts to strain his back out. You know, you, you start to see the confidence slowly come to him visually. Like, him no longer, like, he starts to stand up straight, you know, by the end of the movie. You know, there's those subtle moments as well. 
And I think it just goes to his, like, the animation and art is just fantastic. Let's get that clear right now. Mamoru Hosoda has a very distinctive and charming art style. One that distincts, like, when you see it, you know, oh yeah, that's a Mamoru Hosoda film. Not necessarily just an anime film. It's sort of like Ghibli or Miyazaki. You can tell what's a Miyazaki movie by looking at it. Or a Satoshi Kon movie just by looking at it and being like, oh yeah, that's not just an anime movie. It's a Mamoru Hosoda movie. I almost said Satoshi Kon because I mentioned Satoshi Kon. Don't worry. I will be talking about Satoshi Kon sometime in the future because I love his movies. They're fantastic. But yeah, and I thought the action was also good for this movie. Um, I think I'll talk about... No, I've... I'm going to just mention this quickly. I don't think it's his best action sequence. Like, personally, I like the action better than Digimon the movie, but I'll, I'll get more into that when I get to my dislikes and criticisms of the movie. But overall, the action is pretty nice, and the art style definitely is great. And I love the distinctive art style difference between the real world and the world of Oz. Uh, one standout scene I have, the next point of one of the things I like, is... The scene where like the family members grieve Granny's death, it was like when you just see them really mourning her loss. You see them all in different sitting positions, standing, and you get that like tracking shot, you know, through the room. You know, it makes it feel like you're watching a stage, you know, theater in some aspects, but you see how each character really reacts but the really standout moment is when not i can't believe i'm having trouble kenji and natsuki they're sitting together and this is one of those subtle moments and i really love the moment where like natsuki is trying to hold back her tears and she asks you know kenji to hold her hand to try to make him stop and you know you see that it's a very slow progress for Kenji you know it's very good visual storytelling you know because at first you know he only starts holding her a little bit and then she starts crying a bit more you know so he instinctively gets nervous and retracts back but then he comes back together and starts really, you know, like, and really start to hold, like, hold more of her hand until they slowly, like, start connecting with one each other. And that's when, like, Natsuki's emotions, like, just start flowing out a lot more. Uh, going back to the animation part, I really love that this movie is not afraid to show ugly crying you know, like, it's not just tears going down. Like, it's really, like, ugly crying. I respect that. And, yeah, it's just, that is a very beautiful, heart-tugging scene. And it just gives you very raw emotion. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, talking about it, I can start feel the tears kind of going Uh to start, well, you know, uh, I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is, even talking about it, like it's weird. When I was watching it, I was not really interacting, but now that I'm talking about it, I can actually start feeling the emotion a bit more. Yeah. So anyway, it's a very heart tugging thing, uh, scene. And my final point of. What I like about this movie is the writing. I think this movie is very well written. And 
it has aged very well with its seams. With Oz can be really any giant media, you know, internet conglomerate. Let's go with Google, for example. It's definitely, definitely shows, you know, the real, shows the awe and wonder of, you know, such an internet world, you know, connecting everything. But it also really does a great job, you know, showcasing the true horrors and of the internet, of something like Google, or in this case, Oz being, you know, connected to everything. And just that, yeah, we, and it just becomes like, even though I think Oz in itself is just more so a representation of the internet itself than just, you know, one media platform. Again, the movie came out in 2009, but... I think the real fear of it is not really of what how destructive an AI program can do to the internet, but more so it's the how reliant us as humans have become with the internet. That's the real fear. That's the real like like the real life fear that we deal with is that and the reality is that we have become so dependent. You know, I I think a lot of people get hung up, you know, about kind of how the suspension of disbelief with Oz to not see, you know, and they're like, oh, well, that's unrealistic, you know, for the military to be connected with Google or Twitter and yada yada. And just being able to like, oh, Twitter can access... You know that, but it's more so how dangerous the internet, like our use of the internet, is, and how reliant us as humanity has become with the internet. That's that I think it portrays very well. But anyway, going back to the writing, I just really like how it doesn't waste information. Like every, like everything from the beginning, it. It somehow crops up, you know, later on in the movie, or it is like nothing is just there once. It's it's Shoukov's gun, but done pretty well. Like there's this point, you know, in the movie where it's revealed that throughout the beginning of the movie, or after Love Machine takes over Kenji's avatar everyone thinks oh no Kenji was the one to break in and Kenji even himself is like oh no I did it but then it was later revealed by his friend uh I think it's Kazuma I I'm sorry I'm I'm horrible with names but I'm not sure if it's the right character or not but I hope you know what I'm talking about. The uh, his classmate, you know, his uh, coworker for Oz, you know, reveals to him, "Hey, you, good news. It was twenty-two people that actually solved the code. It's just that everyone's avatar, you know, everyone who's responded, their avatar got taken, and you actually didn't solve it. You're one letter off." Funny enough, which people are like, oh, wait a minute, how's that, you know, like, how's that, like, uh, it might seem like a very, like, oh, that's convenient, you know, but in reality, it makes sense, given that in the beginning of the movie, the very beginning, we learned that he almost made to, you know, Mathematic Japan's Nationals, you know, Championship, whatever. <laughs> I'm remembering this movie very well, as you can tell. But, no, like, it was this, you know, contest. He was, he only got second place. 
that that's very notable that shows you know that's important because you know it shows that yes he is very good at math but he is not perfect and he is flawed and he will screw up sometimes and that was one of the times he screwed up but i love you know again through his character development we get to see you know just how he grows in his confidence and i think part of the reason why his math skills were lacking is his lack of confidence and when he starts to become more confident more open with the family he really starts to really like his math skills get improved i guess is what i'm trying to say and i also love you know the foreshadowing of how granny's picture of when she was younger looks like natsuki and natsuki is the one to unite her family and this you know crisis it wasn't this outsider it was her natsuki that did it you know for the koi koi match you know she was the one to bring her uncle back and so yeah those are the five things i like and i'm gonna give just a one quick bonus thing i like i know i'm, I'm breaking my rules already but i i just have to mention this as a godzilla fan a godzilla geek i should say is that love machine's face mask i absolutely love that it looks exactly like an evil jet jaguar i love it i love it and i love jet jaguar so i had to mo- i had to mention it somewhere now of course try to stick with five points and we're already half an hour in so good job lowering the runtime john thanks john but anyway i don't care this is the important part at least i'm trying to give myself some constraints and hey maybe me limiting it to five means i can flesh out my points a bit more but anyway let's go to my dislikes and criticism now i mentioned before i liked how it borrows heavily from digimon the movie but i also don't like how borrows heavily from digimon the movie and the reason why i don't like how it borrows heavily from that the second part of digimon the movie is because you know what's going to happen like it's very much if you've seen that movie it this is the problem it's like it borrows too much in my opinion like it's just the plot points they really are the same and the theme is the same you know like maybe not borrow as many plot points but you definitely get the same progression the same moments like it's very much like compare the two it it just i think if if it wasn't for digimon the movie or should i say this is kind of a subjective point though i will say this it's only a problem if you've seen digimon the movie if you have not seen digimon the movie oh then there's no problem but for those who have seen digimon the movie or our war game the japanese version then yeah you'll know it's not as interesting the second time around or or should i say it's not it's more predictable because you've seen the movie practically just with different characters and a different universe just a lot of the plot points they share the same there's just too many similarities i think mavro husoda could have benefited from diverging a bit more from his work in digimon the movie now to my next point of the re of what i dislike or my criticism is i think this movie could have benefited from a longer runtime and i know the movie's almost two hours long but i think it could have pushed for a two and a half hour movie and the reason why is that even though i love the large cast i don't think we spend enough time with each member or the important members or the important 
even the like important cast members, like the main characters, I don't think enough time is fleshed out for everyone. That's the problem with some of these ensemble casts. Like you can have like very memorable casts, but if you don't really spend the time fleshing out at least a couple of them, like really well, it starts to get bogged. It hurts the emotional weight of the movie a little bit. So, again, the runtime, I think just more time with Natsuki and developing Natsuki and I keep forgetting his name. Kenji. Kenji. I I just want to say Kaji for some reason. I don't know why. I don't. But anyway... If we could spend you know more time developing Natsuki and Kenji's relationship, that would have been fantastic. And you know, I just realized I'm. I, I hope I'm doing it right. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna do a quick Google search. Sorry, Kenji. Kenji. Okay. Yep. I am talking about the right person. Cool. IMDb did not fail me, but anyway, it's just them developing more of a relationship, or Kenji, you know, spending more time with the family, or Granny and Natsuki spending more time together throughout the movie. I don't know. Just a bit more relationships could have been fleshed out a bit better if there was more of a runtime, a longer runtime. And that leads me to my next point, which is. I felt like Natsuki, in some regards, got underdeveloped. Now, don't get me wrong. She has an important part in the movie. Like, she is the reason why Kenji's there at the, her granny's house, interacting with the family. She brings, you know, the real main character to, you know... Like, she has a very important part in the first act, and she has a very important role in the third act, reuniting the family, being the one who challenges Love Machine and the match of Hanafuru. Wow, 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 did I just mess that up. Uh, Hana, Hanafuda, there we go. And a match of Hanafuda, which, by the way, I actually got interested in that game after watching that movie, but I never got a chance to play it until Clubhouse 51 games that came out in the, for the Switch last year, was it? It was either 2020 or 2019. But yeah, I didn't actually play it until you know that came out, but I actually do enjoy the game. It's a very fun game to play. But yeah, she was the one that leads the charge for that. She reunites the family. You know, She essentially becomes granny but it's in the second act i feel like she gets really shoved to the sidelines and that i think hurts the movie especially with her important role you know in the third act we could have really benefited from her being more involved with the plot and more involved with kenji's you know oz dilemma i should say i guess you know more runtime should have been dedicated on her and i don't think i'm alone in saying that i haven't looked at all the reviews except for the couple negative reviews the one i will be talking about especially the one i'll be using for this episode but i will I haven't seen, I guess what I'm saying is I haven't seen anyone talk about it, but I don't think I'm the only one, especially since if you look at the posters and the cover, you see that her character or her avatar, you know, and Oz are, they're in the front. They are, you know, the center of attention, not Kenji, who is the real main character of the movie, but it's Natsuki. You know, you really see Natsuki's in the center. She she's the one with the family flag. Um so yeah. I, I also 
real quick, I just want to mention I do like how the movie feels similar to a samurai movie in some aspects. I should have mentioned that before, but I'm just going to quickly insert here. Just put some little bit of positivity in this section, okay? I, I did like that. You know, I, I'm using the flag as a way to talk about that point. But anyway, I yeah, Mornatsky could have made this movie elevated a bit more. Uh, next point is the 3D animation with Oz hasn't aged the greatest. Like, it's not bad. It is not bad by all stakes, but at the same time, it definitely shows its age. I don't think it really hampers the movie. It's more of a personal nitpick. But yeah, seeing the animation now in 2021, it's it just hasn't aged that well. And it's something that is noticeable. And my last point of what I dislike or my criticism is that some of the action in Oz feels slightly disconnected from what's happening in the real world. It, this has to go with the suspension of disbelief. Like, it's just you have to really suspend it in some of these action scenes. Just with the avatars fighting each other, with the action, how they're moving. Like, I think we've gotten close to that, you know, now, but we're talking about back in 2009 where it's just like, that doesn't really work, or it wasn't even like, you know, those action scenes that really bothered me, per se. You know, I could get those, but it was definitely more of the Hanafudu, you know, that felt a lot more anime-like, and we got that, you know, Koi Koi, you know, the Koi Koi! It's just like, but you just, it didn't make sense. <laughs> you know, I'm getting hung up by it, but it was distracting for me because I was like, wouldn't it make sense to be like, focus on the real world with the real Natsuki pressing the button instead of the avatar going, koi, koi, you know, I don't know. It just felt, it made the action feel slightly disconnected from what's actually happening in the real world. It's just, it's weird. It was distracting, I should say. But, anyway, even though I gave some dislikes, overall, I did really enjoy this movie. Not as much as I did the first time around, which is a shame, but it's still a very charming movie. The animation, for the most part, is really great. And, uh, actually, you know what? Real quick. To go back my 3D animation or with the action is that this is another reason it kind of ties in with the borrows heavily from the Digimon movie is that now we have something to compare to. And even though that uses CGI, there's a lot more hand-drawn animation, especially with the action. So I thought the action, at least from my memory, I guess I need to rewatch the movie, but I thought the act. Like, the action in Digimon the movie was a bit more... Had more oomph to it than the some of the action here in Summer Wars. But, yeah, anyway... Still still 45 minutes in-ish, you know, throughout the first part. But hopefully the second part isn't long because I'm just going to stick with one negative review per movie going forward. But, yeah... That's uh, overall, I did really enjoy this movie. It is very well made. It's just, I have some nitpicks, you know, and I will, you know, greatly say, even though I gave, you know, five points that I dislike, is that I do find that my criticisms, my personal criticisms, they are more of the subjective end than the objective end, I should say. It's very, like, I try to make my views or my criticisms very subjective you know but i think the only one objective one is the 3d animation but yeah i'm just trying to say these are my subjective views and 
really though, those dislikes I mentioned, they are more so nitpicks, and they don't really hurt the movie too much. It's just if some of those things to me were you know I, I just, you know, if the movie did some things a little bit differently, it would have been elevated a bit high, like more so than it already is. I guess is what I'm trying to say is it's a fantastic movie. Just one that I think it could have been a bit better than fantastic. But anyway, that's it from my opinions. Now I got to defend this movie with John versus critics. Alrighty. So I got the review up and the thing is with, negative reviews on anime films, it's going to be a bit more tricky to find a really hateful review because there's at least a constant of it's like, well, at least it looks pretty, but I did manage to find a one out of 10 review for some summer wars. Now I don't know if that's going to be possible for the upcoming, you know, movies from, Mamoru Hosoda, but on IMDb, one I got the one one out of ten star review titled "I Hated Everything About This Movie," written by A Gordon two three seven four. Now, I, I'm just going to talk about the one you know from now on. I I think I mentioned this before. I'm going to just stick with one negative review per movie. I think that's enough. And yeah, so this is not really a particularly interesting review, but I, I had to pick the one one out of ten review from IMDb. It's it has the honor. So without further ado, let's get started. Now, to be fair. A. Gordon, he says, I guess maybe this just wasn't for me, but I love many similar anime movies. You know, anything by Miyazaki, Satoshi Kon, and other movies by Soda, just not this one. You know, so at least at, off the bat, unlike some of the other reviews I've, uh, I covered in the past, this one is, like, the person here, they are fully admitted to that this movie just might not be for them. But I don't really like to target the people. I like to target the words. So, anyway, the review then really begins with while the animation is still excellent, everything else is terrible. How? What? Everything else is terrible, but what about the math? Was the math terrible? I mean, okay, having to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm dealing with the cough going on, but anyway, I guess having to deal with math in real life is terrible, but I think it was interesting to see a fictional character deal with math. You, know, you didn't like you didn't like the family drama? What's going on? Why, why did you think everything else is terrible? A. Gordon explains... Here, the characters are all incredibly unlikable. But but Granny. Everybody loves Granny. I think even people who don't like this movie love Granny. He actually has a little thing. Or they... I'm sorry, I don't want to assume. They actually talk about Gra Granny and a little bit. But you didn't like Granny? You didn't like the, the cop cousin? Didn't like Natsuki? What's going on? Doesn't explain why, except for Granny, but... The reviewer goes on and says, The writing is cringy, and the story... And the story, the ridiculous and unrealistic. Okay, well, first of all, cringy. I'm, I'm gonna say you... It's kind of funny, in the sentence where you say the writing is cringy, you say... The story, the ridiculous and unrealistic. It, it kind of disproves. I'm just saying, 
maybe with the way the sentence is written, we should take it with a slight grain of salt. I mean, a slight grain, I mean, pretty, pretty decent sized grain, like, of salt. Just saying. Because you got a really big spelling mistake there that really chops up the writing. Now I'm criticizing the reviewer's writing here instead of the movie's writing. We have diverged, but anyway, going back to the movie's writing, which I mentioned I liked, so I, I do, of course don't take any personal thing about it. This is not my movie. But still, using the word cringy, I think that that was a bad writing. And also, by the way, if we're going on writing, I'm just going to say you didn't bother to explain why the characters are all incredibly unlikable. I think the re what's being ridiculous is how this review is written. I'm just saying, I I don't. I when it comes to writing department, I'm not going to trust this particular review in the terms of quality writing. I, I just I don't know. Maybe that's me, but. I just, again, really, the word cringy, you had to say that. And by the way, this was written very recently, back in July of this year. Or, well, technically last year by the time this episode comes out. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely... I don't know. And also with the ridiculous and unrealistic, maybe this is just me coming from someone who loves to watch movies about irradiated giant monsters that fight three-headed giant space dragons. I don't think a story being ridiculous or unrealistic or a combination of the two is bad by any means. Like, I love ridiculous and unrealistic movies, but maybe I'm the weird one. But anyway, the review continues on by saying, the family members are all obnoxious and yell about how their clan was so powerful in ancient Japan, or whatever. Well, it really was only the one character. Uh, I'm horrible with names, and there was a lot of characters. You know, who was saying, you know, how powerful the clan was, you know. I mean, they all mentioned, like, they talk about the old family history, but only one was touting how great it was. And if I remember the movie correctly, you know. And I think it's. For me, okay. The movie, they, they used, like, the whole clan, you know samurai part because it makes it one feel make the movie feel a little bit like a samurai film like movie or modern day samurai film i i definitely felt the kurosawa influence with this movie so i think that was somewhat of an homage of that or just making a mod i think part of this movie's intent was to make a modern day samurai film and in essence like like, just kind of that story of a samurai clan or family, you know, old, you know, Japanese family fighting a virtual war, or, I don't know, just having a sort of modern age battle in some ways. I don't know. I feel that that was just kind of a tie-in to the Kurosawa influence. But, yeah, it's just... It goes on to like this theme of traditional, you know, family like values, I guess. I don't even want to say values, just the when it comes to having like an old family, you know, or like a long lineage going I don't know, I'm rambling now. I, I just went about a topic of writing yet. Well, first of all, I didn't write anything right now. I didn't write any of my responses. But maybe I need to take some more lessons on writing. But 
I, I guess what I'm getting at is that it is actually important to the movie for at least for a the one character's you know characteristic and like just how how he is in the movie and b it does relate to the plot very heavily and couple of instances the whole theme of family throughout the entire movie but anyway Rivera goes on and says, even the grandma is supposed to be some amazing Wonder Woman, but just comes across as arrogant and rude. The whole sequence where she's calling all of the random service people and motivating them was unbelievably stupid. Okay, well, first of all, she, they weren't just random service people. Like, at the beginning... Like we, if you paid attention, review. Like maybe you should have noticed that a lot of those service people are part of the family. They weren't exactly random people. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna just call a random firefighter and motivate. No, they're part of the family. Like she's ninety years old and she has. A lot of great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and some of them are in the army, and a firefighter, a paramedic. You know, you got a lot of service people, and, you know, she's trying to give them a motivational boost. You know, to be like, hey, listen, get, get your act together. You know, it is supposed to be, you know... And that's like, when it comes to the family people, you know, she only has to motivate them. But then the rest she was calling was actual, like, politicians, you know, telling them, like, hey, what are you going to do about this? You know, that's like one of the things of having, like, an old family lineage, you know, and just being very connected to the town is that you have connections. And we also learned that throughout the you know movie, like later on in the movie after she passed, she like the picture was used for her birthday slash funeral was her when she got a picture of receiving a medal from the governor. So it shows that you know she has lived a life where she probably was an activist or at least. In terms that she was very influential and did a lot of service to the community, you know. So that scene was more just to emphasize that she's just willing to do everything in her power to do what's right, and what's within her power is to call the people she's connected to and to try to get the situation under control. And by the way, the situation that we're talking about is when. Love Machine is messing everything up, you know, with the traffic lights, the, you know, essentially prank calling, you know, 911, you know, all these, you know, just messing up the entire system. But anyway, back to the review, they go on and say, then there's the whole Oz slash Love Machine arc. The villain is weak and random. The whole idea that the U.S. military would cause the entire fiasco is equally ridiculous. Well, I'm going to stop right there. I've seen the U.S. military in movies be a bit more un like ridiculous than in other movies. But uh, anyway, the reviewer continues on and says, I could understand them buying the technology, but I couldn't believe they'd be incompetent enough to cause this disaster. Well, we again, we have a lot of movies with the U.S. military being incompetent <laughs> losers, like more incompetent than what you're describing here. Okay, so like the villain, it's, you know, is the AI love machine. But 
that's not really the villain, I guess. It is, but it isn't. Alright, it's like the overall, like, it's best to like, kind of treat Love Machine less so of like of a movie villain like something like Thanos and more so like a giant monster like a Godzilla movie like he is Love Machine is more so like he's more so like Godzilla or a giant kaiju rampaging and like causing destruction and the real villain is what led the environment like kind of the society and also you know just the like improper use of technology and the internet you know again it's like the villain's more i i'm not remembering the movie Hang on, like, I gotta look up his name. It's the uncle. Everyone knows the uncle, right? Uncle. Oh, I, 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 it's like right there. Uh, see. I, I want to say Wabiske, but we're going to go through IMDb here. I'm not saying his name. Uh, Sorry, I'm doing this in real time. Uh, Huh. I, I... Hang on. Google. Sorry, I'm diverging. This this is really embarrassing, but Uncle Summer Wars Uncle, okay. Yeah, it's Wabiske. I don't know why I couldn't find that on IMDB, but anyway, Wabiske, he's the one that you know creates Love Machine. Oh. And he's more of the I don't even want to say the doc, someone like the Doctor Sarazawa type, but it's not exactly the same. Like there's the, there's a lot of differences, but more so he's the Doctor Frankenstein, and Love Love Machine is the Frankenstein's monster. You know, I, again, it's like the conflict is really like really between old family values and the modern age internet or is it's more complicated i i guess the thing is you gotta treat it less so like a darth vader villain and more so like godzilla if he was rampaging across the internet i would actually pay to see that Oh wait, that's Digimon the movie. Or just Digimon in general. But anyway, also again with the military. I I saw Godzilla ninety-eight. Don't tell me the US you know military is incompetent in this movie. Like again, I, I seen Godzilla ninety-eight and wanna talk about incompetence. We can talk about incompetence with that movie all day long. But, yeah, I think the U.S. military in movies is known for being sometimes incompetent and just doing stupid things. This, though, it's, uh, I I don't even want, like, this is not even their most incompetent. Like, it's just one of those, like, Again, I've seen some stupid things the military has done. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, let's go on to the rest of the review where they say, I guess if you really want to watch a movie about Japanese family values, maybe you'll like it. 
But even the part, even that part of the movie, I found to be poorly done, like it was written by a 12 year old. Overall, I found this to be the worst movie I've watched in a really long time, and the worst anime movie I have ever seen. Which, those are some bold claims. Like, this is not even nowhere near the worst anime movie that even I've seen. I I don't really remember what the worst anime movie I've seen. I just know it's not Summer Wars. Probably the worst anime movie I've ever seen is a movie I have suppressed. But, yeah. And also... I like I mentioned in my one of the things I like, you know, with the writing is that you are not giving the writing the writing enough credit here, my good reviewer. Uh and also like again, you gotta be I, I think this review was just written in a very bad mood, like with a very very just sour mood from beginning to end. I don't know. Worst anime movie they've ever seen? I mean, you know what? To be fair, if this is the worst anime movie you've ever seen, you're, you're eating. You are living the life because this is a fantastic movie and that's the worst man. Man, don't, don't go any lower. You be... Or... At least, very least, you're bound to expect some really, really bad stuff in the future. Or if you decide to continue watching a more variety of anime movies. Because I can tell you, Summer Wars ain't the worst. No, no. We can go worse. But anyway, thank you. A Gordon two three seven four for that review, and that does it for this episode. Thank you for watching. Make sure to subscribe on the YouTube channel. Uh, I'm not sure if I have it linked up to my podcast description, which I should, I should. But anyway, you can find this podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. But Spotify, not Spotify. Uh, we're not doing Spotify. That's, that sounds like a different app. But anyway, Spotify, Podbean, you know, the Podbean, you know, app and website. And make sure to give a review, subscribe to the YouTube channel, like I've said. And just most important, Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Take care. On the next episode of John vs. Phil, it's time to travel back to high school in this sci-fi comedy about a girl who leaps her time. Hopefully she doesn't mess up the timeline too much. See you then!